Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back. Thank you for being here. Once again, my name is Jeb Smith. With me, my esteemed colleague or guest, I guess you will, uh, Josh Lewis, certified mortgage consultant. We are back once again to update you on what's going on in the housing market, answer your questions live, and have some fun. So Josh, not really a lot happened in the news over the last week uh, with regards to data. Um, market's just kind of chugging along, if you will more or less waiting for next week's report, which is CPI and also the Fed, you know, meeting the following day on Wednesday. Uh, but over the last week, we've seen, you know, the biggest, I guess the biggest change in the market is that the 10 year has dropped substantially um, from what our call last week and uh, had some impact on interest rates. So why don't we start there? Yeah, um, it hasn't had that big uh, of a, an impact on on mortgage rates. The market is kind of holding off, waiting, seeing. Um, lenders, as you know, have been very slow to to give up uh, improvements and really quick for uh, worsening rates. And part of that is is what we've talked about the the bigger than typical spread between mortgages and, and ten year treasuries. Which, if we see two three months of kind of market normalization, we should see that uh, somewhat narrow but yeah over the last week so we were here the 30th of last week we closed at 3.602 and we closed today at 3.453 so 0.15 percent down about an eighth of a percent in interest rate and mortgages are probably similar to that if you saw some of the the media reports uh the freddie mac primary mortgage market survey uh any of the other surveys they quote those rates down about an eighth of a percent. So not much of a move, but a nice move in the right direction. Bottom line is we're all sitting around here waiting for next week's CPI figures and the Fed meeting the day after that, which even with that, uh, a few days ago, um, Chair Powell was out talking and pretty much telegraphed and said, we're raising a half point uh, at the meeting regardless, but they still will comment on the CPI data the day before. As we've said before, Jeb, you and I expect that's going to be a good number, um, could be a great number, more likely just to be good, somewhat um, better than expected, somewhat see the year over year CPI uh, number come down. And that will lead to the Fed to say, uh, we like what we're seeing. We would like to see continued moderation and in inflation. We're still well above where we would like to be. So I don't expect a whole big change. But if you remember, Jeb, this time last month, we were sitting here saying pretty much the same thing, that we didn't expect a big rally in rates after the CPI figure. We got a little bit of marginal improvement and a big rally in rates last month. So anything's possible. Yeah. And, and something you said and something to be aware of here, guys, when we're saying that we're going to get updated, uh, you know, inflation figures and that we're inflation is going to go down, we're in no way saying that inflation's headed back to 2%, right? I mean, we're basically saying the, you know, the, the market's expecting, I, I don't know what they're expecting at the moment, but let's just say it, it month over month, it stays at 7.7% at or, or what have you. The expectation is that that number is going to go down, right? Because we're dropping uh, a, a figure from December of last year and adding, or November and adding uh, a November figure from this year, uh, which in in theory is lower. And based on how they add those up, it's going to come in less. The question is how much less. And and, and let's say it does come in 
you know, quite a bit less, uh, two or three, you know, uh, basis points uh, better. Does that, that, that the Fed doesn't immediately change their stance, right? It, this is something that takes time, right? They, they've said, they've come out and said, we're, we're looking, you know, kind of at the broader picture, if you will, and, and waiting to see how all of this is going to affect the markets down the road. And one of the big things we know they're paying attention to is employment. And Josh, you and I were talking last week, ADP numbers came out and, um, and, and, it showed like 127,000 jobs or, or something crazy, crazy low when they were expecting like 200,000. And so you came on and you said, well, if ADP is correct, then we're likely going to see those job numbers come down. Well, that didn't happen, right? We saw actually job numbers at 261 or 263, whatever the number was, and was was quite a bit higher. But fortunately, the market didn't go absolutely bananas on, on that note, but still shows that the labor market out there is strong um or stronger than than many people think it will be let's let's say that um which is keeping the fed kind of tight on their stance so i think even if you see lower inflation numbers the fed doesn't immediately change their policy right they've they've more or less come out and said they're doing 50 basis basis point hike in december and i think a 25 in february um because i don't they don't meet in january so i think it's a 25 in february so at the moment josh i don't know that that's changed well, let, let's fill in some of the blanks of what you were saying. The, the forecast is for 0.4% month over month. Um, if that number were correct, that's still 4.8% annual inflation. So two pieces to that. 4.8 is more than double what the Fed would like to see. So is it better than what it was a few months ago? Yes, but it won't go down to 4.8 because we're only dropping one month off. We still have a number of really high months. It's going to be three, four, five, six months before we were down to a 4% annual inflation figure. Now, last month we hit, I believe, at 0.3. Um, yeah, we did. So the previous month was 0.3. A couple things to remember here. These sound like awful round numbers, right? Well, they do. They round up and they round down. So 0.34 would be 0.3. 0.39 would be 0.4 or 0.36 would be 0.4. So they're artificially precise, especially when you say they add those numbers up to get the to the annualized figure. But the important thing to remember that at 0.3 or 0.4, we are nearly double what the Fed's comfort level is, what anyone's comfort level should be with inflation. And that doesn't put the genie back in the bottle. We're, we're saying that we're going up year over year and it's not putting the inflation that we've already suffered or experienced back in the bottle. So, you know, Jeb and I watched uh, one of my favorite economists for about an hour today talk way over our head because he is a genius and, and we are mortals. Um, and he said for a million reasons, he brought up literally, I, I was copying his charts and after about 10 of the charts, I go, this is dumb. There's so much data here. There's no way we're going to share it with everyone tonight. But getting to the end of it, he says, I'm showing you all sorts of data that tells you inflation is going down. And what he followed up with is, does that get us to the Fed's preferred target of 2%? I do not know, but it's definitely going to be lower than what it is. So if you have to hazard where my guess is, I agree with him. It's going to be lower than where it is now. If and when we get back down to that preferred 2% range, that's anyone's guess. No, good stuff. So, um, yeah, if you guys are watching on video, clearly having a trouble trouble with lights here. So, got new lights in the background. Um, quite a bit nicer, fancier. Uh, provides a lot more light. Uh, but clearly, 
something's not right because uh, it's going off the battery and the battery's draining and it's plugged in. So not sure what's happening there, but nevertheless, uh, we digress and move on. So uh, probably going to be a, a, an earlier show tonight, uh, a shorter show, if you will. Um, so if you do have questions, I would I would start throwing them in there because uh, we're going to dive through some stuff and, and get you guys some hopefully some answers, uh, you know, a lot going on, not really a lot going on in the market and didn't want to drag out tonight's show uh, because I think next week is, is going to kind of be the big one um, and, and more or less not the finale of the year, but it's going to give us a lot of information, um, a lot of insight into what to, you know, kind of what we're expecting, I guess, over the the following, you know, three or four weeks after that, after the holidays and what have you. So, Make sure you're putting your questions in there. One thing I didn't mention at the beginning of the show, if you're listening to this on video on YouTube, where we are at the moment, um, podcast. Uh, this week, we talked about how to uh, basically now you're pre-approved. Now what? Right. So the previous week, we talked about how to get a mortgage. This week, we talked about, OK, now you've got that pre-approval. What do you do? So you can find that on the educatedhomebuyer.com website. Uh, you can go to Apple, Google, wherever you you listen to podcasts and search for it. Uh, it'll show up there and uh, would love to know what you guys want to hear on that front too. So if you are listening to it, what do you think? Uh, does it suck? Is it great? Uh, what could we do better? All of that uh, would be, you know, uh, lovely to hear from you. Uh, and then on a side note, um, yeah, that that's I don't have a side note. I, I said a side <laughs> note, but I don't have a side note, Josh. I was I was going a different direction and and just changed my mind. So here we are. Uh, anything you want to touch on before we dive into some questions here? No, I'm just saying usually it looks over there like you're the one in the cave. And now with your fancy new lights, it looks like I'm in the cave over here. So I got well, jealous. The lights so are out. I, I, I ordered I ordered two of them up. But before when it was shining, it was it was just lovely and bright over there. I liked your light so much that I ordered two of them this afternoon. Yeah, I, I don't know um, how to change it, how to go back. I mean, I can go back and forth here and turn them on and turn them off and all of that. But that doesn't really help us. Um with the show. So I'm, I'm going to just move on. Uh, so let's see. Uh, also, where are you watching from? Um, you know, let us know. I, I I'd love to hear it's, it's typically a lot of West coast, some, some South Florida kind of up the seaboard there, rarely middle, not middle America. Um, if you will. So would love to, to hear from you guys there, but we got uh, Rhode Island, the smallest state. I'm assuming they're watching from Rhode Island. Uh, let's see, got Kim Smith, uh, coming in saying, what's up guys. Joey is asking, uh, what we're expecting for CPI next week. So we more or less touched on that. Um, gave you an answer of, of, you know, what we thought, where we thought, uh, not necessarily a number per se, but that CPI would be lower, um, than expected. So Josh, do you have a, a number that you're thinking? Yeah. The, the forecast is for 0.4. Um, last month was 0.3. If I were a betting man, I would bet on it being 0.3 uh, again, but 0.4 is possible, 0.2 is possible. I wouldn't expect uh, anything outside of that range. If you, if we were uh, putting a, a, I would say with high probability, 90% this week, somewhere between 0.2 and 0.4. Um, market will not love 0.4, but probably shrug it off. They would like 0.3 and 0.2 would get the market very excited. Perfect. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, uh Rexa. I don't know. I think I it's Rizza. I think it's Rizza from the Wu-Tang clan. Rizza's in here under a AKA. The Wu-Tang. The Wu's not here. Uh I brought I bought a house, but I live 55 from my job. Would it be hard to sell or any options I have? 
Um, not sure I understand the question. Um, so maybe clarify there what you're asking. I think they're 50, 55 miles away from their job and tired of commuting. Okay. Would it be hard to sell? I don't, I don't know. Um, it depends on what type of property it is, right? If that's the question that Josh, uh, posed there, um, is it a slower time of the year? Absolutely. Um, the the distance to your job and and that has nothing to do with you being able to sell the house. It's just the time of the year. So pricing it right, um, depending on desirability, where you're located, excuse me, uh, that sort of thing is, is going to pose more of, of whether or not it will sell and sell quickly uh, than anything else, along with obviously the price. So Talk to a real estate agent. Find out what they're saying in your market. Um, a lot of it has to depend on where you are. I can tell you there are still pockets of the market that are still moving and, and selling and, and selling quickly and, and at the asking price in, in some markets. Now, on the, on the flip side, there are also other mar uh, markets that that's not happening. So talk to an agent if you need one. I'll put a link up on the screen here in a minute to connect you. Uh, Wes is coming in saying, good evening. What, what, uh, did, what did I, what did I do to offend Wes that it's gentlemen and Josh instead of gentlemen? Well, I mean, I mean, if we're being technical, it's genty man and Josh. Oh, but you're the genty man. You're, you're the Gentile if, man. And I'm if, Josh. If we're going where we thought he was going with it, gentlemen and Josh. Yes. Yeah. Under rightfully so. Uh, in your recession forecast, are you expecting a soft landing, a mild recession, or a severe recession? It's a good question. Um, you know, we listened to, as Josh mentioned, started the show today, uh, you know, um, listening to, you know, his esteemed uh, economist, if you will. Dr. Uh, Lacey somebody, Hunt. Yeah, Dr. Lacey Hunt, um, who he trusts and, and kind of gave, uh, you know, some credibility to earlier in the show. And he said he still believes that we we aren't in a recession um, just based on how uh, recessions are calculated now. Right. So the whole two quarters of, of negative GDP is necessary, not necessarily uh, still an accurate definition of whether or not you're in a recession. And so he goes on to say he doesn't think we're in a recession. Um, so I just I, I thought I would mention that because I've said several times I think we're in a recession. And I still believe that um, just because of of growth in the economy, I think it's it's I mean, it is definitely slowing, um, even though some of the numbers aren't necessarily reflecting it at the moment. Soft landing hard. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with with what the Fed does on the other side of this recession, uh, personally speaking. I mean, if if they start seeing signs that were you know, in a recession, uh, or that it's going to be uh, maybe more severe than what they originally thought. They don't think they can do the softer landing, and they start uh, quantitative easing again. Then I think you can you could potentially get the soft landing out of out of the situation to some extent, right? Because they put money back into the economy, things start chugging along. Now, does that solve the problem long term? I don't know. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to depend on, and on how the, the, the fed reacts to data over probably the next three to four months. Um, Josh, what are your thoughts? So one of the great charts, uh, that Dr. Hunt had in there that, that we were looking at today relates back to something we've talked about during the pandemic. Uh, money supply increased massively with un at an unprecedented rate. The government had never increased money supply that rapidly. And um, Lacey Hunt says 
that is the primary cause, along with supply chain disruptions of the inflation that we saw. The Fed sort of believed they could increase money supply without triggering inflation, which they were wrong. Now, one of the charts that he showed, we talk about uh, money supply times the velocity of money. Um, and we had a massive slowing of velocity or inflation would have been much worse. Well, he showed a couple of charts that confirm that velocity is not picking up and money supply is being uh, brought back down at also an unprecedented rate. And his feeling with that is anytime we have seen a chart look like this, where it just falls off of a cliff, that tells us that is a hard prolonged, deep recession. He wasn't predicting it, but he's saying if the Fed continues on their current path, that is a great likelihood. So what do two dummies on YouTube know? Nothing. Um, from, absolutely not a nothing. Lot. From experience, like if we look at what's the most likely outcome for anything, it's for something to be middle of the road, mild, moderate. Um, that would be my hope and guess. Uh, I could give you a, a formula where it's a hard and deep recession. I don't think the ultra soft landing where we go, oh, it's a little recession, wasn't that cute? I don't think that's a possibility. So I'm hoping for the light side of a moderate recession. There you go. I, I know there's a lot of consumer debt. I know there's a lot of things happening out there outside of, say, housing that we talk about. Um, obviously, is our main focal point here on the show. Uh, so clearly, th th there's there's a lot going on, and you have a global you know, play into this whole thing as well that could send things even further down, depending on what happens uh, with, you know, tensions between different countries and just a lot. There's a lot going on. And, and obviously, it's it's very hard to predict this. But I, I, I will go out and say I don't think the economy is doing nearly as well as uh, some of the data portrays it to be um, in, in different areas. So that's just my two cents uh let's see you know alvin came in and replied to rizza's we're gonna call him rizza now it's RZA. Uh, it's clearly rizza it i is, know this why, why don't you rent it out and comes back and says maybe that's a good option i wonder if i'm able to get another house meanwhile though thanks for your reply so yeah renting it out is an option if if you don't want to sell now's not a good time you don't want to make that community anymore mate commute anymore. Maybe you do rent it in the short term. See if you can cash flow. See if it makes sense to do that. Josh would say the numbers never lie. Look at the numbers and see if they make sense. Now, second part of that question is, can you get something else? Well, if you're renting another property, if you're going to keep that property as a, a rental, if you will, and you're going to rent something else, not buy it, then your rental is not really affected. You qualifying, if you will, based on that other debt. Um, so that doesn't really have any bearing on it. But if you're going to buy another home, that's where it's more of a concern, right? And, and depending on how long you've owned that property, you might have to be able to justify uh, why you're now turning it into a rental. And then obviously, you're only going to get a portion of those the, the rent proceeds from that property, 75%, I, I believe it is, Josh. And then you're still going to have to qualify, right? You're still going to have to meet debt to income ratio requirements. Anything yeah. I'm missing there? No, that, that's pretty much exactly it. And just talk, talk to a lender, a good lender that 
that knows the guidelines, knows the process, and can give you the numbers and compare it side by side. Can you qualify? What do you qualify for? Are you comfortable carrying both payments? Are you comfortable with renting out that property? Sometimes there's a slight negative there, not just for qualifying purposes, but in the real world. Are you okay with some negative cash flow on that? Does that make you uncomfortable? Uh, it's a decision that you have to make fully informed. So you have to run through the numbers to find out. Number one, is it possible? Number two, do you are, are you comfortable with it? Do you like the numbers you're seeing? Good stuff. Uh, Andy says, assuming I have an assumable loan with a three and an eighth rate, would that mean I have pricing power? So uh, with regards to selling your home, I assume is, is what you're going for there. Josh is always trying to bring Stapleton in. He's trying to get us. I'm going to get a new ringtone. To get, I'm going to throw Rizza on the ringtone so he can what's come happen into all get, of the conversations. We're going to get demonetized on, on YouTube <laughs> because that pops in and it's going to signal that we have his music playing in the background. Um, anyhow, uh, would that mean I have pricing power? Potentially. Um, here's the thing is, pe what people don't understand about assumable loans is that you still have to qualify for that loan. So Josh has, Josh, let's explain this scenario. I'm selling a house, uh, let's say for $500,000. And let's say, hypothetically, I owe $400,000 on that house. So I have $100,000 in potential equity. My loan is assumable. You as a lender, what has to happen for that to take place? So you don't come to us as a lender. You have to go to the lender that holds the loan and you're going to supply your documentation to them and they're going to qualify you and make sure they are comfortable uh, replacing the current borrower with you. The other piece of that is there's a $100,000 gap there. So either through seller financing, the seller carrying the difference, um, you making a down payment, a combination of those two, a third party second mortgage, you're going to have to either fund or finance that gap. It's the reason why this isn't all that common. Another one of the reasons are the two most uh, commonly assumable loans are FHA loans, which an FHA loan, if it's at 3.125, is also going to have 0.8 to 0.85 mortgage insurance. So it's closer to 4%. So the benefit isn't as large. With a VA loan, if you assume the VA loan and you are not a veteran, you are allowed to assume it, but it doesn't restore the veteran's entitlement and they can't go buy another property with a VA home loan. So it's a wonderful idea. Everyone hears it, thinks of it. I don't see a lot of it going on. A friend of Jeb uh, uh, and mine uh, did a seminar today with an attorney talking about how to do subject to purchases. So you're not even going to the bank and asking to assume it. You're taking it subject to that financing. Um, these are all great ideas. There are reasons why they are unlikely to come back to the forefront the way they were in 1982 when, uh, when we last saw a, a rapid spike in interest rates like this. There you go. Uh, Chip says, are you seeing any forced sellers in your areas with the much talked about downturn in the STR market? If so, would love to hear some stories. I haven't heard of any forced sellers personally. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the easy answer. I, I, I don't know of any forced sellers. Josh, well, I, I will I will say this over the last year to two years, I saw more people jumping into buying short term rentals. They watched some bigger pockets videos. They thought this was a great idea. Um, did a bank statement loan, did a debt service coverage ratio loan and bought uh, a property in a resort area. Um, and I don't know that it's as much a, a downturn in the short term rental market. For me, I, I have a place in Rancho Mirage, which we've always um, rented out when we're not 
using it. And the city of Rancho Mirage over the last couple of years decided we don't want that. So there are no short-term rentals. And what I can say in our development, there's 850 units in there. There are a lot less people around than there were last fall um, because you're not able to rent your vacant unit to someone for a week. They have to come for a month. We'll see what the spring looks like. The spring is more snowbirds that are happy to come for a full month, but it is going to limit the income that you can generate from your property. That is going to limit the value of those. So for me personally, I'm looking at that going, how is that going to impact the market? And for any of the people that came late to the game with a, a bigger mortgage in terms of a monthly payment, those debt service coverage ratio loans, bank statement loans, they have a higher interest rate, so but they do require a bigger down payment. So we're not so much talking about people that are going to lose their shirts because they made a bigger down payment for the most part. Um, but there's definitely some risk there, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out when certain markets around the country, certain vacation rental markets got saturated. Too many people came in and bought properties, so there's more of them available, putting downward pressure on market rents for the short-term rental. And if we go into a recession and there's less people taking vacations and having the, the this discretionary income to pay for a nice vacation rental, it's an interesting question and something that's going to bear watching. And, I, you know, just logically, I would think it would have some downward pressure on second home markets. There you go. Um, we got people watching from we got Jessica in Temecula, Lisa in Dallas, Carolina in Colorado. Carolina, that just has a ring to it. Uh, Chip in Richmond. Uh, Kim is in La Habra and Rhode Island is in Rhode Island. Hey, imagine that. Uh, Diana. Diana says new construction predictions and what to negotiate. Everything. Um, negotiate the price. Negotiate closing costs. Negotiate builder upgrades. Uh, is where where I would start. Predictions continuing to slow uh, for a lot of markets out there. Uh, just depending on where they're located, uh, you know what state they're in, how many units they're developing, how plentiful new construction already is, what's happening with existing construction. That's all going to pose, uh, you know, how the the market reacts to new construction. Uh, you know, we were reading an article today. Uh, you know, from uh, it was a, it was a interview with Ed Pinto from uh, the American Enterprise Institute, and you know he's talking about the Sun Belt still doing very well overall with regards to declines from the 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 peak, if you will, in in home price appreciation. So he's saying these markets, you know, Florida and 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 you know parts of Florida, if you will, are still faring very very well uh, because you know, housing is is a little bit more affordable in those areas versus, say, California. Um, you had less people, uh, you know, buying and, and moving around because of things going on with job relocations and all of that stuff. But nevertheless, if, if, if that holds true, what he's saying, then new construction in a market like that would probably fare better than, say, a market like Phoenix or Nevada, Vegas, and and those markets that might have more new construction, where it's and and on top of it being less affordable. So, Josh, yeah, you know, thoughts? I would defer on this one. We've talked about Ivy Zellman here a lot on the show, yep. um, and she's a little pessimistic towards some of those areas a in little? the South in Texas where there was a lot of new construction. She believes it uh, was overbuilt 
not already overbuilt, but the supply is coming late. The, those supply chains that we talked about over the last few years, homes that should have come to the market and already been sold are now going to be coming to market over the next few years. So um, I would be cautious with new construction in any market where there is a large volume of new construction and subdivisions already entitled, meaning that the builder is committed. They are going to build those out. And there's more supply coming behind the homes that are already on the market. Um, we're seeing that the builders are essentially forced sellers, you know, uh, just like someone in distress has to sell their home. A builder can't sit on a home. Uh, they're going to sell it to someone because that's the business that they're in. And because of that, they are good at managing their, their forecasts, their budgets, their balance sheets. And they have been the most aggressive in coming up with incentives to buyers, whether it be rate buy downs, closing cost incentives. So it is absolutely a good time to negotiate. And for most people, it's a little bit uncomfortable to negotiate with a, a seller that is a, a real person like them on the other side of the negotiating table. It's less personal when it's a business that you're negotiating with and you may not feel as bad about saying, hey, I'll give you 50,000 less than you're asking for. You can give it to me in, in whatever form you would like, whether it's a price reduction uh, or concessions. So uh, no harm in being in that market if that's what you want. Just, just be aware of your market and what supply looks like over the next couple of years. Good, good. Uh, Brooke is saying, or is asking rather, what is your prediction for someone looking to purchase a house with a cash offer? Would it be better to buy now versus in a couple of months for the better deal? So I would say if you have cash now um, and you can find the house that you want now, I don't know that there's a reason to wait and and try to, try to negotiate it now. I mean, if the house is on the market now, I kind of sound Canadian when I said that, the house. Uh, if the house is on the market now, Try to negotiate it now, especially, I mean, you don't know what their, my phone is going crazy over here, uh, what their their goals are. Maybe they're trying to close by the end of the year for tax reasons. Maybe there's something else going on and why they want to get rid of that property. Waiting two to three months, could housing prices go down? Sure, they could. Could they stay the same or potentially, I would say, pick back up, but um, have more competition, more activity at that time because of potentially lower rates? Absolutely. So. I, I'm it, again, we talk about it all the time. I don't know that timing the market is your best way to to buy a property ever, uh, especially right now. So I would say if the right one presents itself, it meets what you're looking for um, financially. I mean, clearly it's cash. Uh, so you have a little bit of advantage there to some extent in and and um, being able to negotiate, I think, a little bit more aggressively. So use that to your your advantage. Meanwhile, Kim in La Habra just got a nearly 10% increase in, in rent. Um, it's going to start in February. So there you go. You could also be renting and, and have to deal with that. You know, here's like side story. Received a call from a gentleman today, found me online how somehow, uh, and sold his property in 2020 with the act, the idea that he need, you know, he was going to sell and, and, Wait to see what the market does. It's 2022. He never bought back in. He went through the the trials and tribulations of trying to buy. Market was too crazy. Um, and here he is now, two years later, buying back in. Now, the, the advantage he has is now he's a cash buyer. Uh, but the, the downside is he sold in 2020 um, and probably missed out on some substantial gains by, again, trying to time the market and do different things. So that just... 
Don't be that guy. That's all I'm saying. Did you have something you want to click on there, uh, Josh? Um, we talked about that one already. Um, we had a question here. It was yeah. a, sort of a longer one. So Sherry Berry, I like the rhyming name. Sherry Berry. Sherry Berry says, I would like to pay for my sister's closing cost expenses. However, should she use it for additional funds for down payment? She's already putting down 50 and I would provide 40. So $90,000 total to work with. Loan officer says that if my sister puts more for her down payment, he would recalculate the numbers so it reflects that my sister is approved for more. Um, so a couple things there. Should I pay for my sister's closing costs? You'd like to pay for your sister's closing cost expenses. $40,000 is way more than closing costs and expenses. So some of it is going to go for down payment if she is going to use it all for those purposes, depending on how high the, of the purchase price. Unless you're talking about a two, $3 million property, you're just not going to have that much in terms of, of closing costs. So the, the bigger picture does putting, I, I get this question all the time. People are like, ah, I got 80 grand. I don't know if I want to use it all, but I think I need to get that payment lower. So $500,000 purchase, 10% $50,000. So we're talking anywhere from 20 to 30 additional thousand there that they could put to work. With interest rates where they are currently, your monthly payment changes by about $6 per thousand that you put down. So in this instance, let's say there's 10,000 for closing costs and the additional 30,000 goes for a down payment. It's $180 difference in the monthly payment. And if you're somewhere around, you know, three, uh, a 33% debt to income ratio, it's given you, you know, uh, $540 of, of income bump. So it doesn't make a huge difference in terms of the monthly qualifications. So if she is absolutely maxed out, yeah, it's really the only way to do it. What I would say, I'm not a huge fan in the current market where we believe that interest rates are going to be working lower over the next 12 to 24 months of paying points. But two points, um, again, on a $500,000 purchase, 2% of the loan amount, $10,000, it's going to have two, two and a half times the uh, effect in terms of how much additional purchasing power you have versus putting an additional $10,000 down. So it'll bump you up about $25,000 versus just an additional 10,000 in, in purchasing power. So it's something to be aware of. And again, talking to an expert loan officer that can go through the numbers and show you the different ways that you can allocate those funds and determine which is the best for maximizing her qualifications. Good, good. Uh, Francisco is asking, would it soon be a good time to buy an affordable house for a rental investment opportunity? So here's what I can say about rental investment opportunities is they either make sense financially or they don't. Um, so depending on whether you're going for appreciation or you're going for cash flow or both or whatever, the numbers that never lie, right, Josh? So Look at the rents, look, you know, look at the cash flow, how much money do you got to put down, analyze it and see if the deal pencils out. And if it does, fantastic. If you're asking, are prices going to be lower in the future to get you more cash flow? Or I don't know, right? I mean, on rental pro rents aren't really going to go too far, um, in my opinion, from, from where they are at the moment. Now, the increases are likely to stop or slow, um, depending on your market, uh, but you're not likely to see any big decreases in, in rental income. So you should be able to get a pretty good idea uh, of what that property would bring in. And then you can run the numbers based on rates and, and see if it makes sense. But outside of that, I don't have uh, a clear uh, answer for you because uh, like you, my crystal ball is cloudy. And Jeb, if, if Francisco's here in California, 
where is affordable? You know, we, we've talked everywhere has gone up in price. We look at areas, you know, north of Los Angeles, um, Antelope Valley's gone up, Lancaster, that area, Bakersfield's gone up, um, the Central Valley, Fresno, Visalia, Tulare, that stuff has all gone up. So for the most part, California, absent a large down payment, is not going to be great cash flow wise for you right now. We've talked about other markets around the country where rents are much higher relative to the purchase price and cash flow can make a lot more sense. So it depends on where you're at. Kind of going back to Ed Pinto's report today, he's saying the Midwest is faring a lot better because they didn't have nearly as much appreciation. And the, the direction of their market is going to largely depend on the direction of the economy. Soft landing, probably not any, uh, if, if at all, of a downturn there. If they get crushed and their economy suffers, then home prices are going to drop. But they didn't have the massive appreciation. Um, but when we look at that, the rents are much better. We've talked about this before on the show. My mom bought a duplex a couple of years ago in Indianapolis. She paid, I think, 180 at the time. It's up to about 230 240 in value now. Um, and at 240 it brings in $2,200 a month rent between the two sides. That's pretty darn good. That's close to your 1% rule where the rents are 1% of the value of the property and it's almost always going to cash flow. So look at those numbers because nothing has really happened positive in terms of affordability anywhere in the country. If you look at this time last year, almost every home was worth less last year than it is now. So it's gone up in value and rates have gone up. So if you need to finance it, you are paying more in a monthly payment. And yes, rents have also gone up, but not at the same pace of what that payment increased. So I don't know if there's necessarily, necessarily an affordability play here for anyone, but in certain areas of the country, it can absolutely make sense if you can find a property that's discounted. And, you know, Jeb, going back to the question that the other person had before, um, hey, I'm a cash buyer. Should I buy now? One of the things I wanted to say to that is cash. What does cash do for you in the current market? You know, it was helpful that if you were in a bidding war, you could say, hey, I can close in seven days. I can go without an inspection. I can go without an appraisal. That's less of a concern to people right now. They're happy to get a buyer to show up um, other than we've talked about that top 10, 20% of homes that are still getting multiple offers. I had a client today in a multiple bidding situation because he's offering on a very nice home and, uh, and several buyers wanted it. But most homes, if you're in that next tier down, you know, if you're a well-qualified buyer or a cash buyer, you're not likely to be going up head to head against each other. So it's not going to make a huge bit of difference. What I would say for me, if I'm a cash buyer, where I would be looking to play in the current market are the lower end homes, the homes that are beat up, distressed, not necessarily the ones in a bad location, but the ones that don't look pretty and no one's paying much attention to buy the property, get as big a discount as possible and look at improving it and build some value into it. It's not a right or wrong answer, but that was sort of my thoughts when you were talking about what, what does a cash buyer do to get an advantage in the current market? No, exactly. Uh, good, good, good stuff there. Uh, let's see here. I, I clicked on this question. So Willing, uh, one of our regulars here says, uh, Josh, do you utilize FHA manual underwrite? Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Willing is a loan officer, potential loan officer in the mortgage business somehow. So um, opens the door for poor credit or even no credit. Can you do cash out refi with FHA? Um, I don't know. I don't know about that part. So Josh, FHA manual underwrite. Um, can you do cash out refi? Yes. So the, the thing to know, what are, what are we talking about here? The vast majority of loans go through an automated underwriting system. If the automated underwriting system doesn't like the loan, 
it's very hard to find a manual underwrite on a conventional loans. Loans going to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. FHA and VA, most lenders will do a manual underwrite, meaning that an actual person sits down and goes through rather than a computer and they determine, do you meet the, the guidelines for the program? What I can say is those are always going to have more restrictive guidelines than if you're able to get an automated approval. And the primary reason why people don't get the automated approval is credit. The system doesn't like the credit score. So you can do any of those loans with a manual underwrite. It's going to be up to the lender to uh, determine the guidelines that they are comfortable lending to because the, you start seeing a lot of overlays. So at that point, it's worth talking to a broker that has multiple lenders they can put the loan with or check with multiple lenders to see do they do uh, manual underwrites and how do they interpret the guidelines and what overlays do they have? All right. Uh, there you go. Hopefully that was helpful. Uh, Yastina uh, says, will we see price reductions in Nashville, Metro Tennessee state next year? So obviously hard for us to, to talk about Tennessee. Um, but here's what I will say about Tennessee. I listened to a podcast, uh, economist, what art Laffer was on there, 80 something years old, this guy. Um, pitching Tennessee, like hard, pitching it hard. And because he moved there, right? He used to live in Rancho Santa Fe in San Diego, and now he lives there. And and the reason he moved there was to avoid taxes. For one, um, state taxes. I think he mentioned uh, the third lowest property taxes in the country. Um, there were like five or six things that he rattled off for financial reasons why it makes sense to live in Tennessee. Um, and... and after listening to that, I was like, I mean, I'm moving. No, I mean, it, it's really interesting because, you know, I knew they had no state tax. Um, I, I wasn't aware of the property tax, but he mentioned some other things that I'm drawing a blank on at the moment. But I was like, I I, I get the the appeal to some extent um, in wanting to be there. I grew up. I mean, well, I didn't grow up. I was born um, in Tennessee. And so you get four seasons, you get all of that. But, but where I'm going with this is that states like that uh, that have big tax benefits um, in, in, in a variety of places are probably going to see people continue to migrate to these places as uh, you know, states like California have stupid uh, laws and are, and are controlled by, you know, majorities in, in, in politics and all of that. Like people want to migrate to, to more freedom and more, you know, less tax and all of that. So with that being said, and not a political statement at all, but just one that's people want to keep their money. And so I think there's an opportunity for states like Tennessee to continue to do well. Does that mean they're not going to get impacted? No, it doesn't mean that at all. I just think when, when you have a state that is offering you know some of these benefits, I think you see less impact because of that. Josh, any, any thoughts on that? No, uh, the thing that I was going to add when I first saw it, you talked about Ed Pinto's report. He had a cute little graph of the, the country and, you know, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, the entire state was was doing better than most of the areas that he projected. He, he's a little pessimistic right now. He thinks rates are going to remain elevated. So he thought there would be some price reductions, but it was minimal. Uh, low single digits is what his expectation was. There you go. Uh, Anthony says, I bought last year in the Inland Empire after living in Orange County my whole life. I made a mistake. I work in Orange County. Should I sell or rent out my place? Mortgage is 2800 three bedroom, two bath. I want to move back in OC, even if I rent. So I think the scenario that we talked about earlier is similar to, to you. I mean, this is this applies to you. Uh, where in the Inland Empire are you? How much inventory is where you are, where, where you're located? What where What price did you buy your house at relative to what homes are selling for at the moment. 
Um, are you okay selling it at, at that price and maybe breaking even? Um, I don't know if you take, I, like, I, there's a lot of questions there, right? And so if the answer is, is yes to all of those things, um, then maybe it's an easy transition. Uh, yeah, I know your mortgage is 2,800. Does that include property taxes? Does that include insurance? Is there an HOA? How much can that property rent for? Are you upside down on the cash flow? Or are you positive on the cash flow? Or I guess you wouldn't be upside down on the cash flow because there would be no cash flow. But what what are you bringing in? Is it is it positive or negative? Um, so th- those are things that you got to to ask yourself. And then okay, if you do rent it out and you are negative every month, how much is it going to cost you to rent what you want in Orange County? Now you got that on top of the the negative. Does that make sense? Can you do it financially? I think these are all things that you need to think about. Uh, but what I can tell you is over the next two months, it's not the most ideal time to sell a house uh, because you know rates are high. But it, outside of that, even though rates have pulled back a little bit, it's this is just not the time of year to get to maximize price, typically speaking. So um, happy to chat with you um, off off camera here and and see if I can guide you if uh, if that's helpful for you. So. Feel free to reach out. Um, Josh, Josh, let's see here. We have one Roan. Roan? We're just going to go Rowan May. Rowan May. Not going to go for the rest. Uh, we have a pre-construction house to be closed in April of 2023, and I have my house to sell early next year. Please need advice. So um, I guess the advice is similar. I mean, Similar to, to what we just talked about with Anthony in a, in a weird way is that your, your, your property is going to be done in April. Is it going to be actually done in April is the real question. Um, do you have to sell your property before you occupy that property? Uh, it sounds like maybe that's, that's, that's what's going on here. Uh, so it's all about figuring out timing. So I would start trying to plan that. I mean, April is four months away at this point. So I would say right after the first of the year, you want to be ready to put that house on the market, in my opinion. Um, and 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 if it sells quickly, negotiate some sort of rent back um, if you can to be able to stay in that property until your, your property is complete. If it doesn't sell quickly, you've given yourself some time there to work with the market and and figure out your timeline. But what you don't want to do is sell that property tomorrow and then find out your new construction house isn't going to be done until July. And now you're figuring out what you're going to do for the next couple of months. So even though new construction's backed up in, in areas and there's property coming to the market and it's plentiful and what have you in different markets, there are still delays in, in construction for various reasons. Um, you know, and if you're in a place that has weather issues or anything like that, that could also play into it. So I think there's a lot going on there, but you know, just talk to a a professional in your market, run it by them, see what they say, uh, and, and use that as some guidance. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm in your market, so find somebody local. And if you need somebody, there's a scroll at the bottom there that'll, that'll lead you to someone. So Josh, I don't see anything else flagged here. Oh, here we go. we got some stuff coming in. Um, just going to click on one and I'm going to let you roll with it, Josh, while I look here. Okay, uh, me, so yeah, yeah. You, I'm ahead. gonna go with it. El Yepison. Yeah. Hopefully, I got that correct or something like that. And I would, know, I would love to know what a Yepison is. Being a gringo, I have no idea, but it sounds interesting. So, is is the um, Y silent or is the I, Y? 
pronounced. I, I, don't I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't speak the language, or at least not well. I only try on certain occasions. Uh, me and my wife are pre-approved for conventional loan of six hundred thousand, but she's having surgery in two weeks. We'll be out for months. Will that affect our loan? So yes, it may not kill the loan, but it will affect the loan. So prior to closing, during the process, <laughs> and immediately prior to closing, your lender is going to do a verbal verification of employment. Now, if she is out on leave and they respond, hey, she is on leave, or if you can't provide updated pay stubs, um, depending on how that's handled, is it paid leave? Is she getting her full salary? Is it a reduced salary? Um, on a conventional loan, if she's going to be back to work, say three months down the line, and you have enough reserves to make the payments for those three months post-closing before she's back at work, and the employer will document that she's expected back at work three months post-closing, it is possible to do that. So um, it definitely can impact you. I wouldn't uh, just move forward and hope that it doesn't become an issue because it will be found out unless the employer uh, provides standard pay stubs, at least with base pay through closing, and then verifies that she is still working. If they do a confirmation that she is out on leave, it can present an issue disability have salary. reserves. Yeah. So with if it's on the disability salary, they're going to see that. You're going to be giving a different pay stub. Uh, the employer is going to verify. So what you're going to need is the employer to verify when she's going to be back on the job and to show that you have enough money post-closing in reserves to cover the payments until she is back on the job. There you go. Good stuff. Uh, Platinum Black again said, you said this isn't the best time of the year to sell a house. Does that mean it is the best time of the year to buy a house? Listen, I, 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 if you can find the house you want, payment makes sense, longer term time horizon, all of that good stuff that we talk about, preach about constantly. I think it's, 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 it's okay to buy a house. It, is it the right time? It depends on you. But what I, what I've said several times, and I said this prior to the pandemic, you can go back and watch videos from, you know, September, October of 2019. They're still on my channel, by the way. In fact, they go back much further than that, unfortunately. Um, God, some of those things are awful. And you can see, you know, what we talk about in September, October. We're talking about, hey, listen, as a seller, probably not the best time to sell your house. You know, not that many buyers out there looking typically, you know, uh, one of the benefits of, of selling your house this time of year, typically less competition. And I think that still rings true to, to today, um, especially compared to back then. I mean, you're half the properties on the market uh, than, than back then. But nevertheless, as a buyer, we also talk about during those, those old videos and still today, if a seller has their home on the market this time of year, they probably want to sell it. Um, now, that can mean a lot of different things. Maybe they inherited it. Maybe, you know, um, you know, there's something else going on. But if if they're willing to, if it's owner occupied and they're willing to have people come in during the holidays, you know, especially if they have kids and just, you know, willing to deal with all of that during this time of year, typically means there's somebody that's motivated and wants to sell. So to answer your question, could that mean it's a good time to buy? Potentially, if if the 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 deal, the opportunity makes sense to you at that time. I'm not saying it's a bad time to sell, uh, but I'm just saying it's not the ideal time. Um, just based on, if you look at, you know, seasonality, um, historically speaking with regards to ebbs and flows in the market, you're, you're, you're less likely, um, to, to maximize price, um, and timing and that sort of thing this time of year. You know, Jeb, the thing that, that I tell, um, people that we have qualified that are buyers, if you are willing to buy, be in the market, 
at any time of the year. You have no idea when a deal is going to present itself. And a deal might be um, a super motivated seller that will accept a below market price. A deal might be the world's most perfect home for you. And if you go, oh, we don't want to deal with this till January, you may get to January. You don't like anything that's on the market. And you find out that a perfect home sold in December and they took uh, an offer that you would have been willing to pay or pay more for. So once you've been pre-approved and you are willing and able to buy and move, be in the market. You don't want to miss out on something. Homes are not like cars. I've used this example about 10 times in the last week with buyers. If you want to buy a brand new F-150, there's like 100,000 of them on lots around the country. You can find the exact one that you want, probably five of them, and, and go and bid on that. And if you don't do it now in January, they're still going to be there. And, and if they're all gone by February, they'll be back on lots. Homes aren't like that. They're unique in terms of location, uh, upgrades, build, asking price, how reasonable or motivated the seller is. So when you are ready to buy, be in the market until the right home uh, shows itself. There you go. And at the beginning of the show, I didn't mention inventory, which I always do. Um, kind of a record. Well, not keeper. always. You didn't do it today, Jeb. Well, exactly. That's where I'm going with this. It's a kind of a record keeper for myself too, to just kind of go back and look at the numbers if, if I had any questions about where inventory was, but came on the show 3169 in Orange County. So last week, 3250 something. So inventory continuing to go down uh, here in Huntington Beach, we're at 220 today. So that's the lowest number we've seen in quite some time. Uh, you know, between now and the end of the year, those numbers should decline a little bit further. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see properties under 3000 here in Orange County. Um, you know, compared to 2017 to 2019, the average at that time, this time of year is like 67, 6,800. So quite a bit less than, than where we were prior to the pandemic, even though inventories increased this year. So just some, some, some food for thought. Uh, with that said, Hayden says, do you think any of the people who bought in Orange County with the idea of renting through VRBO will be stressed enough to sell in the tough economy? I'm sure there will be some, um, you know, I look at Orange County and I don't look at, at Orange County as a big VRBO short-term rental market. Now I know there's, there's pockets out there, Anaheim, some of these pocket pockets where Disneyland's around and, People like those, those will always be desirable. Now, I know with that being said, Anaheim is putting put has put restrictions on short term rentals. They did that some time ago. So only some of them are grandfathered in and what have you. But those aren't really going to go anywhere because there's always going to be a market for those unless something changes with with that. Again, you take Newport, Newport Beach, for example, on the beach and and some of the that stuff is is super desirable. It's always going to make sense uh cash flow wise. Now Outside of that, I'm sure there's some people that bought them short-term rentals, whatever. It didn't work out because they're not getting rented like they thought, or somebody's changed the, the code, or they bought in a building where they said, well, I'm not going to put it on VROBO. I'm just going to do it myself, and no one's going to find out. Those are the people that get screwed um, because they didn't do it right to begin with or didn't think it through. Now, does that mean they're going to turn around and sell it? I don't know. It, that's too tough. It's tough to say. I don't know how many. I wish I knew how many. VRBOs were in Orange County um, because it gives you a better idea. But like Josh mentioned earlier, a lot of these, when you're buying an investment property, if you're truly doing it how you should, like buy the books, if you will, you're putting 25% down, 20, 25% down. So these people aren't necessarily, you know, um, distressed, if you will. Uh, but some may be a little bit more motivated to sell than others. But again, it's, it's, you got to have the reason, um, of why they would want to do it. And at the moment I can't see one because, you know, um, 
you know, people are still going to do short-term rentals. I mean, something would have had to change in their perspective in order for them to, to make, to want to change that. Josh, and anything Jeff, on that? I, yeah. When I think of areas like this, where, where you're, I would think there would be a potential for a downturn due to people having to bring homes to the market and, and liquidate them, um, would be, like I said, I'm in Rancho Mirage, Rancho Mirage, Palm Desert, Palm Springs, lots of vacation rentals out there, Hilton Head, South Carolina, um, probably, you know, lots of places in Florida, anywhere around Disney and Orlando, that type of stuff where there's just people saw dollar signs and, and some people have done very, very well. Like if you bought before 2015 in any of these vacation rental markets, you're doing great no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. um, but coming in late to the game and having some restrictions some things change or just a saturation of vacation rentals could be a problem. But I think it's more likely to happen in heavy vacation rental markets. Like Jeb, you mentioned Newport Beach. There's plenty of vacation rentals uh, that you could find on VRBO, on Airbnb in Newport Beach, but there's still a much lower number than there is in Palm Springs, for example. So uh, those are just the two things that, that I think in terms of, so Orange County, I don't think is going to be largely impacted by it. Yeah, agreed. And I get people again calling all the time. Hey, I'm I'm looking for a short-term rental in Huntington Beach. Well, Huntington Beach has super strict regulations on VRBOs in the sense that they only allow them in certain areas, right? Sunset Beach, and they they've stopped giving permits out down there, so you can't get a permit unless you already have one at this point. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you're in violation and could be shut down and given code violations and what have you. And if you're in the downtown area, you have to have you have to have a uh, be on site, right? You have to have a manager on site in order to do it. So, you know, has any of that changed? No, the, the market hasn't changed any of those things. So you need, you need change to happen in these markets to impact the people that have these properties and would want to sell them. So uh, at the moment, I'm not seeing that change. So, so Jeb, uh, you have yeah. the crawl down there if someone wants to get connected with someone out of the area. But Anthony just says, he's got a lot of questions. Uh, would like to talk, um, you know, uh, can sell or rent it. How do I connect with you to talk it over? So if someone is in our market, wants to talk with you, what's the best way to connect? You know, there's there's an email floating around here somewhere, Josh, of, of something I could pop up there. I'm looking for it at the moment. Uh, <laughs> here it is. Yeah. If you go to either my website or my email address there, you can get in touch with me directly. Um, and I'm happy to have that conversation and I'll reply to you. I, and obviously if you just search my name online, dude, you can get all the information you need way too easily. Don't so go to jebsmith.com. You'll find a woman. Yeah. Jean in Pennsylvania. Damn Jean. I've been trying to buy Jean's website for 15 years. Jean's never responded. Maybe she has responded, just offered, you know, just passed me by. Um, but nothing more than that. So if you know her, I want to buy dot com too. I got dot net, man. I want dot com. At this point, I don't know that it matters, but you know, nevertheless, I'd like to have it. Um, and don't you guys go out there and buy it and then try to sell it to me because I'm not going to do that. I'm only buying that, it from Gene. That would be awesome. That that's that's the way it works. Uh, Anya says, "What advice would you give to flippers? Don't overpay. Um, make sure your numbers are airtight." Um, be super, uh, conservative on what you think it could sell for. I mean, honestly, that we could, I could do a whole show probably on that alone. Uh, but I think that's, that probably sums it up more than anything else. Josh, anything you want to add on that? The, the key thing is you make your money on the buy. People think, oh, I am great. I have the most wonderful eye for design or I'm a contractor or my brother-in-law is a contractor. We're going to do this cheap and get it dialed in. 
you make your money on the buy. So if you are not getting a spectacular deal on the front end, um, it, it doesn't matter. I have literally never lost money on a flip, but we've come close. And the reason why we can say we've never lost money is because we've I, I'm conservative. I don't buy properties that I, I don't know for certain are going to pencil. So as Jeb said, be conservative with your numbers. Know that you make money on the buy and make sure you're getting a great deal and go through never, I, I don't even let it go through my mind what best case scenario is for the numbers, what's most likely case and what's my worst case. All right, good stuff. Uh, we got a couple questions. We got a kind of a comment here or a question, but we'll, I'm gonna hit this one up real quick just because we were talking about rentals. Uh, I don't know a lot uh, of California is Palm desert, not a good place to buy a rental. So here's the thing about Palm Springs, Palm Springs. I, I say, let's just say the desert in general, the desert the Coachella is made Valley. Up, yeah. The Coachella Valley is made up of a lot of different communities. Um, Palm Springs, Palm desert, Indian Wells, uh, cathedral city, Rancho Mirage, Coachella. I mean, uh, uh, what the hell's the one where Coachella is? Indio, like, and, and there's probably five that I didn't name in that in in that little breakdown there. Each one of those people want to live there for one reason or another, right? People want to live in Palm Springs because it's a little bit more hip, and you know all of this, and you know certain different demographic people want to live in Rancho Mirage because it's less of some of those things, and you know, and more of something else, and so. Each one of those has their their pluses and minuses. Palm Desert, I quite frankly don't really know a lot about. Um, Josh, um, I don't know that it's a bad place for a rental, but what I would say is there's a lot of property out there in that market and um, a lot of it's available. And like Josh said earlier, you're going to have some VRBOs, transferring hands and that sort of thing. So I think there's a chance for some of these markets to have a bigger impact on price if some of these people do sell. But Josh, what are your thoughts on the desert? I don't know. So Palm Desert is an awesome community, an awesome city. I, you know, we're in Rancho Mirage. We are directly across the street from Palm Desert. I would be equally happy owning in Palm Desert. Palm Desert, Indian Wells, Rancho Mirage, a um, little older, a little higher end than Palm Springs. Um, Palm Springs is like Jeb said, younger, hipper, cooler, more nightclubs, that type of stuff. So they cater to sort of different people. Um, all of them are going to get a little bit of the Coachella slash stagecoach crowd. Um, so you, if you're interested in a short-term rental, vacation rental, you want to find out what each and every, every city puts in terms of limitations on that. As Jeb said, they're all desirable communities. They they have different sort of demographics and who they appeal to. So no, I certainly wouldn't say it's not a good place to own a rental. It's an awesome city. I would be happy to have a property there. Um, but before I bought one, I would want to do a lot more research in terms of their, their rental restrictions. Good stuff. And when you put a question in the chat, you only have to put it once, guys. We'll either get to it or we won't. Um, and, and I know that sounds rude, but there's a lot of stuff going on here. But this question I've seen three different times and the answer is no, I, I don't know of any nonprofits that do uh, first time home buyer, um, zero interest rate loans. Uh, each state, each market's a little bit different. Find a lender that you trust, you know, you like, and and use them as an opportunity to guide you uh, through any potential programs. Josh, um, it is six o'clock. We said we'd be on for an hour. It's an hour. Um, anything you want to do before we leave? No, we're, we're heading into the holiday season. We got some good questions. We got some good questions answered. It was, uh, like you said, a slow news week. Um, did a little recap on that. Uh, next week will be more exciting. We'll have some more information to go through. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the, pod the podcast, check it out. We want to know 
from you guys what you want to hear about. Me and Josh can talk all day about things that we want to talk about, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're serving the community, educating you guys. And really, that is the goal with this, with that, with it all, right, is, is we want to be a source of education. We want to guide you guys. We really want to make you guys educated home buyers and people that know what you're you're talking about. And, and over the years, we've obviously been able to to help a lot of people in in here because we have a lot of you guys answer the questions on our behalf um, with with the right answers. But as of today, this is number what I say, Josh, 40, 49 or 50? six, 46, 40. Today's 46 episodes. Yep. Yep. Okay. So 46 episodes this year. So yeah, it couldn't be 49. It hasn't even been that many weeks. Um, 46 we've been on this week. So 90, 92 hours of, of education that we've provided this year alone. So if you haven't done so already, hit the thumbs up. Um, if you're listening to us on you know podcasts, rate us, review us, help us out. Uh, but either way, this will be on the podcast on Friday if you want to listen to it again or hear it uh, for your first time, if you're just checking in now. But either way, uh, thank you guys. We will talk to you soon. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.